Good afternoon. Hi. I'm glad to be here. We made a couple wrong turns, but we ended up in the right place. I'm Randy Lanthrop, and I'm from Diamond Bar, California. That's where I live, and I pastor a church called Church in the Valley in Diamond Bar and Alhambra. We have a campus in Alhambra now after a couple years ago we started a campus there <clears throat> and um, I'm, I'm really glad to glad to be here with you I, I could I just get a read on where everybody's from like I know we have Germans who's from Ger who's from Germany Robin and Morgan all right that's good and uh, who how about uh, Cal Baptist Cal Baptist all right Good deal. I, I went to Cal Baptist, actually. I was there a, a long time ago. It's hard to believe how long ago I was there. Um, and then Chico. Chico's in the house. All right. Good deal. Well, I'm really glad, really glad you're all here. Can you guys hear, can you hear me okay back there? You can hear me okay? Beautiful, that's good. Um, like I said, I pastor in Diamond Bar, California. It's about 30 miles east, 30 miles east of Los Angeles, and uh, I grew up about eight and a half miles southeast of LA, real close to downtown LA. That's my home turf. And growing up, I was into surfing. I'm a little old for it now. It hurts. It hurts a lot. Um, but I, I will do it occasionally. And then uh, I was into sports. I was mainly into baseball. I'm married. This is my wife, Cindy. She is right here, my young wife. And um, I have two children, Thad, who's 29, and Lindsay, who's 24. Thad is married. So I have a daughter-in-law, Gina, and they have three kids. So I am a grandparent, which kind of makes me a little crazy. But uh, I love the kids, and it's fun. Uh, but like I said, I pastor in Diamond Bar, and uh, I've had a partnership, a friendship, and a partnership with Neil Walker for a long time. Uh, we started our ministries about exactly the same year. Uh, I launched a church in Diamond Bar. He started uh, the student ministry at University of Southern California at the same exact time. Long story short, we're like-hearted, we teamed up, and we've been walking together for uh, 28 years now. Uh, almost 28 years. Close, okay. We're not that old yet. <laughs> um, but anyway, we've, we, we know him. Now, Gary Hamilton, some of you guys from Chico might know Gary Hamilton. Uh, we went to college together at Cal Baptist. Some of you Cal Baptist people might have heard of that place. Um, we went to college together, and I was actually discipled by a guy, and then I discipled Gary in college and poured into him a little bit. I'm actually uh, related to Cody Bryan. If you're from Chico, you may know Cody. Uh, we're cousins. I'm his, his mother's cousin, actually his grandfather's cousin, first cousin. So. Anyway, long story. But it, I have all kinds of connections. You guys might not have known that. I just thought I'd point that out. Um, like I said, growing up, I was really into sports. I ended up going to Baylor University 
uh, to play baseball. My career didn't even last one season. I made it one semester in Waco, Texas. I was from Los Angeles, California. Went to Baylor to play baseball, got homesick, missed my mama. And God completely redirected my life and I went back to uh, study at Cal Baptist. But in that process of being at Baylor and uh, playing baseball, I got beat up emotionally, really. And I came back a whip puppy. But the good part about that experience was that uh, I got hungry in the process to figure some things out. And so that, that experience wasn't wasted. Um, I was discouraged, I was defeated, but I came back really hungry. And because of the experience at Baylor, and I won't go into it because I don't want to take the time, because of the experience at Baylor, um, I, I learned two things that sort of have stuck with me. Number one, you don't want to leave God out of your planning. Now, I learned that because I was registered to go to college at Cal Baptist. I was on vacation visiting a friend who was on the football team at Baylor, talked to the coach. The coach offered me a scholarship if I worked out in the fall and made the baseball team. So I just decided, hey, that sounds good. I'm just going to stay. I didn't check with God, and I should have known better. At that time, I was already heading into the ministry, and I didn't bother to check with God. So something I learned in, through that experience is don't leave God out of your planning. Second thing I learned is I need help figuring things out because I, was, I wasn't doing well on my own. I was sort of shrinking into myself, and I, I really need help. So that experience burned those two things in my heart. Uh, I walked away with those. So with that as a backdrop, I'd like to start talking about character and um, the fact that character counts, how it helps us stay the course, why it's important, why it's important to God, why it should be important to us, and then how it develops in us. That's sort of the backdrop. Uh, a primary concern, you have your listening guide, and I'm going to try to shout, since we don't have a screen with the blanks filled in, I'll shout the words. <laughs> that you need to fill in. A primary concern in American culture is comfort and ease. <laughs> comfort and ease. That's my shout right there. Um, ways you can see this value is Americans tend to live for vacation. They live for the weekends. They live for vacation. Spring break. They live for spring break, possibly. Um, we, it's, there's nothing wrong with vacation but it's living for it and missing the joy in the day-to-day -day that's the problem. But anyway, that's important to us, comfort and ease. We work for the day that we retire. We start preparing very early in our careers for that. We spend billions of dollars on gadgets to make our life easier. Gadgets and appliances, and we want to be comfortable. Nothing wrong with gadgets. I love gadgets. But, you know, we, we want comfort. We want it to be easy. And so uh, another indicator of our desire for comfort at ease is just we, we want to avoid pain at all costs. So that's a primary concern of ours. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure German culture is similar. <laughs> um, but God's primary concern is different. Character. 
specifically developing Christ's character. That's, that's very important to God. This is what he wants to be happening in our lives. We're shooting for comfort. We're wanting ease. We're wanting things to go smooth. And God is focused on developing our character. And specifically, he wants to make us more like Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this is his plan. This is in his plan. He wants people who decide to follow Christ, he wants to conform them into the image of Jesus Christ so that Jesus is the firstborn among a lot of brothers and sisters who begin to shape, have the same character that he has. This is, this is what God is wanting to do. You see this goal all through scripture. It's, it's all over the place. Another place you see it is in Paul's description of his goal for the church in Colossians 1, 8, 28, 29, uh, 1, 28, 29. Him we proclaim, warning every man, teaching everyone in all, with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, stru struggling with all the, his energy that he powerfully works within me. Uh, Christian maturity is defined as being like Christ. So he's, he's working. This is Paul's goal. This is what he sees. Now, let's step back and talk about why character is important to God. Why, why does this matter to God? Why is he wanting to develop our character? And why is it such a high value or priority to God? First of all, it's important to understand what character is. And character is a set of values. Values. <laughs> I hate missing blanks on my paper. So I'm kind of the guy, I get a little neurotic about filling in all the blanks, so I'm trying to help you out. Um, character is a set of values solidified into a way of life. Now, values are what's most important to us. That's, that's what a value is. We all have a ranking of what's important to us. God, family, friends, our computer, our dog, education, gadgets, appearance, and on and on and on. We have a lot of things that are valuable to us, and there's sort of this ranking that we have. Now, you find out where your values rank as you're faced with choices. So we express our values in the choices we make. Choices. <laughs> we express our values in the choices we make. We see our character in the choices we make. This is how you know. Do you know if you're a person of character? How do you know a person who has a godly character? Watch the choices they make as they deal with life. That's where you see character. That's where you see values. That's where they show up. Character is a set of values that's solidified into a way of life. So at if you want to know a person's character, watch the decisions, watch the choices they're making. As, as life flows by, you check out what's going on. That's, that's how you know your own character as well. Because what happens is we all have these values. Um, and, you know, we, we, those of us who are followers of Christ, we love God. But you get into a situation where your love for God is being... It's in competition with your love for someone else or something else. And you find out whether you love God most of all. Because you make a choice that says whether or not 
he's number one in your life. And so we express our values in the choices we make. Now, every day we face these choices, and uh, they cause us to decide what's most important to us. Like, for example, you had a lot of options for spring break, I'm sure. One of which might have been to stay in your dorm room, I don't know. And so this probably looks like a really good option compared to that, but you, you all really had a bunch of choices you could have made with your spring break, but you chose to be here because there was something about being here that was important to you. It could have been growing in your walk with God. It could have been uh, investigating Christianity further. It could have been that cute young man or young lady was going on the trip. You know, I don't know. I don't know why. But you made a choice to come here because something was important to you. Because that's what we do. We, we make choices based on our values. And godly character means you keep choosing God's way. That's, that's all it means. As you face decisions, circumstances, situations, you keep choosing God's way. And as you keep choosing to live by what's important to God, to live God's way, he is glorified. God is glorified as we make choices. Glorified, <laughs> that's a blank, um, when we make choices in line with his values. You can read um, Luke 16, 15. There it says, Jesus is talking, and he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in, in God's sight. So as we make choices, God is pleased because if they're in line with his values, what's important to him then he's pleased, and you can add a passage to this. Hebrew, uh, Revelation 4.11, add that passage, because it says, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, <clears throat> to receive honor and glory and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So what that passage is saying, God is worthy of glory because he made us. He's worthy of honor and glory and power because he made us. Something that is made glorifies its maker when it does what the maker made it to do. <laughs> does that make sense? So God made us to glorify him. And so when we make choices that line up with his values, then... Uh, we are doing what we're made to do. This is why it's so important to God. He made us to glorify Him, and as we live His way, um, we're setting an example for the people around us. They're, they're realizing how, how wise God is, and, and it draws them to Himself as well. So God is glorified. Life, another blank, life is one long string of choices. A person with godly character has a habit of making godly choices. Now, for a long time, I admit, godly, I didn't understand godliness. Godly, I, it's a mysterious word to me. What it means is you make God-reference choices. 
So as you make choices in your life, you think about what God wants. You reference God in your mind as you make those choices. And life is one long string of choices, and we glorify God by making godly choices. He made us. It's right to glorify our maker. And he is pleased when he gets the glory. So that's why it's important to God. Character really matters. It's important to God. Second, uh, here's why it should matter to us. This is why character should be important to us. First of all, it generates hope. Hope (laughs) is a blank. Um, I'm going to get into this passage a little later, Romans 5, 3 through 5. But there is this uh, sort of this uh, process that is described in Romans 5, 3 through 5. There you start with suffering, which literally can be translated pressure. And then you go, there's perseverance. In other words, under the pressure, you hang in there to do what's right. Then character develops. Character is an interesting word because it literally means experience. That's, that's literally, it means to be tested and proven by experience. That's what, that's what character is. So um, we're, we're, we're faced with a circumstance that is pressure-packed. We choose to hang in there and we choose to do what God wants, and then we develop godly character because we've proven in our own heart and to those around us that God's way is right, it's good. And then as we deal with situations, we develop hope. There's hope that springs from that. In small ways and big ways, we need hope for situations because life is pressure-packed. So in the pressure, if we're going to hang in there, we really need hope. Um, I I was under pressure Friday morning. These last couple weeks have been very, very busy for me. And uh, Friday's usually my my day off, but I, I wasn't taking the day off. I had some work to do. And I was trying to get ready for this workshop, and Cindy came over and said her computer has a a blank screen. So she, her brand new computer that she just got, because the other one went kerplunk, um, has this blank screen. And I, I, my, my initial reaction was frustration and anger because I really needed to get some stuff done. It's my day off. I was having to work on my day off. This computer messed up. After a short time, I caught myself and I prayed. <laughs> you know, after a couple minutes, I thought, okay, you know, I can pray. I can ask God for help. Uh, I prayed, and I started chatting with Apple Care, and, you know, that can take forever. But I was praying, God, please help this get resolved. And the first thing Apple Care told me worked to bring it back to life. So I was thrilled. But... As God came through, actually, if you back up to the part where I was frustrated and angry, and then I thought about praying, it was at that moment that I actually had hope. 
before the, the situation was resolved. Because whenever I catch myself and I pray and I ask God, over and over and over and over again, God has come through for me. I've proven that by experience. So I knew that God was going to either help me get it fixed right away or he was going to help me figure out how to handle the schedule moving from there forward. So there was hope. Now you need hope. If you're going to have character and make good choices over and over again, you've got to have hope. So you go through this process, and we'll look at it more later. Um, but anyway, hope is important. We all need hope. Um, let me see where I'm at here. <clears throat> I've got, I got a, a, maybe I'll come back to that story. We'll see. Anyway, perseverance is crucial because if you don't hang in there to do right under pressure, say the pressure hits and you bail out under pressure and you just go to your, use your old strategy for handling the situation, you blow up, you stomp around, you get in conflict with somebody, you let them have it, you blow up in anger at them, you, you, you actually, in the pressure of the situation, what you've done is you haven't really proven anything except for the, the fact that your old strategies just keep you in the same place over and over again. And your relationships fall apart and you struggle because you haven't handled conflict. So if you fall back on your old strategies, your old nature, your old ways, you severely undermine character development. So when the suffering comes, the pressure, whatever it is, you need perseverance. And then if you, if you persevere to do what God said to do, to respond God's way in the situation, that's when character develops because you prove by experience that God's way is right. So that, that's, that's pretty important. Character doesn't develop if you bail because you, you don't keep doing things God's way and you never get convinced about the right way. So that's the first thing. The reason we need character, why it should matter to us, is we need hope. Because you're going to face situation after situation where the pressure hits you, and it looks like the relationship's falling apart, the project's not going to come together, uh, this team you're leading is just not going to get the job done. Um, and, and you need, in that moment, you desperately need hope. And so that's very important. The second reason we, we should be concerned about character is it breeds confidence and stability. So you need hope. This, is, this helps you hang in there in the long haul. If you don't develop hope, then you're not going to really hang in there in the long haul. Um, second, it breeds confidence and, and stability. Jesus said, when you make choices in line with my words, then you have confidence in the face of trouble and tremendous stability. It also protects us from deception. Um, character does. Ephesians 4 says maturity keeps us from getting tossed around like being thrown into a turbulent ocean and being tossed around by the latest ideas about God or anything else. Because we know the truth. If you have maturity, if, you, if you're a person of character, you've proven that God's way is right, 
then you're not just thrown all over the place by what's going on in your life or in your world. There's this confidence and there's this protection from deception because a wrong idea about God impacts our character since our expectations about God and what we can expect him to do in a given situation are off. So we, we need an accurate understanding of him. So maturity protects us from deception. And then it helps us say no. I think it says not there. Oh, I didn't yell out confidence breeds confidence and stability and protects us from deception. I've never yelled stuff out like this in my life. It's just something that came to me as we were starting here. Um, the last thing is it helps us to say no to what will ruin us. You can look up those passages later if you'd like, maybe in your quiet time, if it, if it seems like a good idea to you. But our heart is kept in check to do what pleases God and brings blessing, not more trouble as we face this. So character matters to God. It should matter to us. And I want to shift gears to talk about how it develops in us. First of all, character is built on our convictions. That's another blank. Convictions. <laughs> it springs out of our convictions. Um, so let, let's look at what those are. Convictions, uh, the very first definition in the dictionary about convictions are the act of proving that a person is guilty of a crime in a court of law. That's not what we're talking about. Um, the second one is a strong belief or opinion. And, and that's actually what we're talking about. The feeling of being sure that what you believe or say is true. That's, that's what it is to have conviction. That's what I'm talking about. A conviction is a belief that you're willing to pay a high price for. Actually, several times in the scripture when it talks about uh, being convinced, it's the proof of that is you're willing to suffer for whatever it is you're convinced of. So you're willing to suffer for your belief. Uh, to live the Christian life, you need, to, you need to believe things to the point you're willing to suffer for them or you'll bail out on following Christ. Um, you're convinced to the point when you're, where you're not going to cave in. Uh, convictions are crucial because godly character grows out of them. This is, this is the foundation of godly character. They're choices that please God, and they spring from godly convictions. Now, I'd like to take a moment to look at uh, Rokich belief systems. This is a very helpful um, chart where Milton Rokich, social, social psychologist from... I think the last place he was, or one place he was, was USC, University of Southern California. He was there among other schools. But based on research, he identified a hierarchy of values and beliefs that we hold. And you can see the chart on the, on the back page there. Uh, we hold beliefs at very various strengths. They start at the bottom with inconsequential beliefs. They go to the top with primitive beliefs. And um, 
inconsequential beliefs or things like, you know, just per personal preference. They don't really have a major connection to my life. They don't make that much difference. They can change quickly. Um, a, a step above that are peripheral beliefs. What, what an authority says or what can I believe that the authority is saying? They say it, so they're my authority. These actually can change pretty easily, this level of belief. Uh, they actually can come loose if you change authorities. So maybe a teacher you really respect, and uh, the teacher, you, you get out of that class and you go to another class and you have another teacher who's pretty good, and you begin to respect them, and they convince you that the other teacher wasn't all right, and so anyway, these, these things can change pretty easily. The, the next level up is authority beliefs. These are moderately held beliefs. Uh, which person or institution is the more adequate source of truth? Who can I believe? This is a little tougher to, to uh, change, changes with more difficulty, but they, this can be changed. Um, we tend to believe in, say, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. If you're really committed to the, uh, the strategy or the outlook of a particular party, it's, it's very difficult, it's more difficult to change your beliefs if they all line up with a certain party. So that's that idea. Then, then the stronger, stronger ones, stronger beliefs, are those that you develop through direct experience. I know these based on my direct experience that such and such, such occur, occurred, it is true. So in these, when I develop these kinds of beliefs, I, I know they're true and I hold to my conviction regardless of what anybody around me thinks. If I see a pink elephant, I'm going to believe that, I, you know, I'm going to believe in that pink elephant whether you believe in pink elephants or not. I saw the pink elephant. You know, I don't know if it was spray painted or what. It was pink. It looked like it was born that way. So anyway, I, I saw it. I, I developed those. These can either be negative or positive. We develop beliefs based on experience that can go either way. And then the, the top, the strongest ones are primitive beliefs like water flows downhill. If, you know, through some magic you see water flowing uphill, you think, you know, and you tell somebody about it, you question your own sanity, you question their sanity. They're, they're sort of basic, widely agreed upon and accepted realities. Now, what I would like you to do is I would like you to think about an experience that you've had. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a real traumatic experience, but some kind of experience that you've had that you, draw, you drew a conviction out of, you drew a belief out of that experience, and it stuck with you. You've, you've, kept, you've held on to that idea. I shared that at Baylor, I, I drew a couple of things out of that. First of all, you don't want to leave God out of your planning, and I need help. <laughs> you know, God humbled me at Baylor. And I drew a couple of beliefs, really convictions that have been confirmed over time that that's true. So I'd like you to think about an experience that you've had and how that has, what is a belief that's come out of that. 
and share that with at least one person next to you. So one person, share that, take a moment to think about it, take a couple minutes to share an experience and something you believe because of that experience.
For the sake of time, I know you probably have more sharing to do, but hopefully everybody, everybody could tie an experience to a belief that they pulled out of the experience. I, I'm pretty sure we could all do that. that that's, that's what happens over and over and over again. We have an experience and we draw a belief from it. Um, and my wife pointed out that I I switched a point in the outline and I didn't give you a blank. Is that true? Yeah. What's the sentence say? Wisdom. Wisdom. <laughs> because it, the, the verse is about if you ask God for wisdom without doubting, he gives it to you. So there's this conviction, there's this maturity that you, you trust God and without that framework, you're not going to grow in wisdom. Fools and folly, they're morally deficient. They try to live life without factoring God into their life. And so wisdom's the opposite. Um, okay, any questions to this point out of anything that uh, I've been talking about? About Ro maybe Rokich. I don't know. I don't know him very well. I know his chart. <laughs> But any, any questions or any, anything come to mind so far? Yes, sir. Um, on the idea of direct experience, uh, knowing you're based on direct experience that such and such occurred is true, I, I guess I want to ask if you have a direct experience that is contrary to what the Bible says, which, more, which may not be the case, but the way you interpreted it was uh, contrary to what the Bible says. How does a person go about adjusting, or how does a person go about um, dealing with that kind of uh, you, issue? You have just set me up beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> but let me just get back to that okay. one, because I think I'm going to answer it here shortly. <laughs> but that's really good. That's that's a good question. That That is the question about that. Um, it, yes? So you're not, you're not. There's not really any like clear choices for you to pick from to know which one's not making sense. Oh well, what I would do is get get some advice. Okay. I would explain the circumstance to the person who's more mature, and just help them have them help you sort it out. You know, often we Proverbs twenty eighteen says, "Make plans by seeking advice." So as you're faced with decisions, as you're faced with making plans, it's always wise as they're coming together to get the advice. So that's what I'd say. Proverbs 20:18. I I always like to make plans and then to get approval for my plans. <laughs> I'm gonna pull this plan together and then I I'm gonna show you know my coach how smart I am and then boom you know. 
stamp of approval. This, you're awesome, Randy. That was a great plan. Um, if you go to a really wise person, they're probably not going to stamp approval on your plan. They're going to shoot at the pieces, and that's really what you want. You want a wise person who will tell you the truth. And so um, I, I found out that it's better to make plans by seeking advice than try to get approval for my plan after I've already put it together. So that's, that's, that's really good. A any other questions before we launch on? Yes, sir. Talking about what moral choices, like there are choices we make every day, basically that relate to. He, his question is, am I talking about moral choices or everyday choices? And from my perspective, we make moral choices every day because. We have time, we have resources, we're, we're choosing what we're gonna do with those. And we're, we're, we're making decisions about what's important to us every day of our lives and, and almost every minute of every day with what we do with it. So as life flows by, we're choosing what we're gonna do with this life God's given us to steward. And that in and of itself is, is a moral choice. We're choosing how am I going to respond to my roommate? How am I going to respond to my friend? How am I going to handle this project? How am I going to respond to the teacher that just ticked me off? Or, or whatever it is. So we're, every day, we're making choices that are revealing our character. So that, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Let's, let's charge on, and I'm going to get back to your question, bro. Uh, and, and it, it was, so if you, if you have an experience and you interpret it wrongly, how do you learn to get the right interpretation of the experience so you end up with the right kind of character? That's the, that's the rest of my talk. <laughs> so we're going to look at that. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I believe it's on your outline, isn't it? This is why this is here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need the right convictions if we're going to end up with the right character. And what, what God does is he uses our experiences, and as we get into the word of God, that's where he begins to re renew our mind. So the process is we're in a situation, there's pressure. There's another passage that might helpful, be helpful to you. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9 might go with, with this right here. But... Paul says, uh, we're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but we might re rely on God who raises the dead. So he's talking about pressure-packed situations. He's facing them, and just like Romans 12.1 here says, in those situations, he, he gives himself over to God. He relies on God. 
we're, we're, we face situation after situation and we decide, am I gonna do it my way? Am I gonna try to look good? Am I gonna try to do this? No, I need to just rely on God and do it his way. And then we're told not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And the major way we are transformed is through the word of God. And we're going to get to that later, but that's, that's the source of uh, the right interpretation of our experiences. Just to answer your question, bro, before we go on, just to jump ahead. But we have to have the right content, and we're going to look at this in a little bit. The formula is we need the right content to help us interpret our experiences. Then we need the courage to act on the content that we are soaking up, which is the Word of God. As we step out to obey the Word of God, we develop conviction, which turns into the right choices over and over and over again. Um, so I'm, I'm way off my map, and I'm running out of time. So let's look at how godly character develops. Uh, how does it develop? This, this is the... Compare Rokic's research to this passage, by the way. I referred to it earlier. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering, pressure, certainly direct experience. Suffering is a direct experience. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance means, another translation is patience, and it means... I keep moving toward the right things in the right direction in spite of adversity. So patience doesn't mean I wait it out to see what's going to happen. But I'm, patience means I'm going to keep doing what's right before God in the middle of this pressure-packed circumstance. Out of that then, so you have suffering, then you have perseverance, out of that grows character. Because you prove, if you hang in there and keep doing what God says is right, you prove that he is right. And you, you get, uh, you develop the character and you gain hope. That's what I was talking about before. Now, how do you know what's right before God? You look into the word of God. It's the word of God that tells us what's right before God. So as you suffer... Uh, you, you, you learn, one of the things God's doing as we grow in him is he's, he's, as we get into the scripture, he's using the scripture to renew our mind, to change our mind. The word actually means metamorpho, the transform in Romans 12 that we looked at. It's, it's changing our mind. And <clears throat> what we need to do is get into the word so that, uh, I'm way off the chart here, but uh, we get into the word and we allow it to change our interpretation or what needs to be done in a given situation. So, say you're having conflict with a friend. Now, natural response would be uh, either to run from it or to dig in your heels and have a fight, an argument, whatever it is. Maybe through experiences of conflict, you've developed the belief that you need to avoid it, 
or if you have conflict with people, you just need to be done with that relationship, move on to the next one, see how that works out. You, you can develop the wrong idea, but you get into scripture, you find out that's not God's way. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says in the middle of conflict, which is kind of suffering, it's pressure, in the middle of conflict, you need to work towards peace. If you wrong someone in, the, in, in a conflict, if you wrong someone, you need to do whatever you can to make it right with them. So rather than running from conflict, you walk into it with the right attitude, with the right goal, and you try to work through it. After you do that a few times, you find out that's the best way. If I'm going to have long-term relationships, there's going to be conflict. And I'm going to need to humble myself and ask forgiveness from the people around me. If I do that, I, I have never in my life not had a repaired relationship. Um, at least I've gotten forgiveness from everybody I've asked. That doesn't mean, you know, the relationship always needs to turn into best friendship, but it's always been the best thing to deal with it Jesus' way. And my life is good. And my relationships are solid because I've tried to live that out over time. I've proven that. I'm convinced. Now, when, so what happens is when I, when I have conflict, when something goes wrong, when I hurt someone in a relationship, when I offend them, I make it right. And I'm convinced because of what happens as I walk through that, that Jesus is right. So that's, that's an example. There's this loop. We suffer. We persevere. Um, we develop character. In other words, we prove through experience that God's right. And then we have hope. So there's that loop. Um, let me see where I'm going to get back to here. Uh, so anyway, just in summary, just in wrapping up, and then I, I want to give time for some questions. We grow in God, godly character as we do two things. As we walk in the spirit, uh, fruit grows as we, uh, uh, you know, fruit grows when the seed's buried in the ground. So we, we give ourselves to living God's way and we aim to walk in the Spirit, and we make ourselves available to the resources of the Spirit, which the Word of God, prayer, fellowship, ministry, these are all the things God uses to grow us, and I don't have a lot of time to go into those, but um, the, the idea is, I, I don't want to just get into the Bible to read it, um, just so I sort of do my duty. But I want to get into the Bible and read it so God can speak to me. I want to pray, not just so I feel like I've checked it off the, the list. I prayed this morning, so hopefully the rest of the day goes okay. I want to pray because I can talk to God, and he responds, and he works, and he, he shows me things, and he answers my prayer. So I get into fellowship, and it's through fellowship with other believers that God speaks to me and challenges me, and he, he uses that to, to rub, you know, uh, 
kind of like sandpaper sometimes or whatever to shape me. And I do ministry and I find out that God gives me a lot of help as I do what he wants me to do. And I get convinced through that experience that, that he's right. But anyway, walking in the spirit, we do that as we make ourselves available to these resources that link us up to God. As he teaches us, speaks to us through the word, as we talk to him, as he speaks to us in prayer, as we get into fellowship and ministry, um, and he comes through. The second thing you do is you step out to obey God's word. And this is, this is the key pattern. Content, there's a blank, content plus courage equals conviction. And it's crucial that we develop the right ones. The right content is the scripture. John 8, 31 and 32, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And by this you show that you're my disciples. So we get into the word and we continue in it. That means we do it. That's, that's, that's what it means. We have the courage to act on it. Um, and in acting on things that God's told you to do, you gain the experience to, uh, that turns into conviction, and then that shows up in your character. So I loved it a few years back. Neil was leading Project Impact in uh, Costa Mesa. And I think they, you, this, you know, students show up at Project Impact, they have maybe a month, I think was the time frame to begin with. The first few years you had a month, you, you needed to find a job in a month or you had to go home. Well, I loved it because Neil said, you've got a week <laughs> to find a job. And when I heard that he had said that, I thought, now it's going to get real. <laughs> because here's a bunch of students who show up at Project Impact, and they've got to trust God. They, this, is their, this is what God's told them they need to do with their summer. They need to show up and work here and get some training. And they thought they had a month to get a job. They've got a week. Can God do that? They had the experience. And God came through. That's, that's how character gets developed. God tells us to do stuff. We do it. And then we get convinced of it. And so we keep doing it. That's, that's the pattern. That's, uh, hopefully you were able to follow uh, as I rushed through those notes. But, but that's, that's the way it goes. We have to take risks. We have to step out. You get into the word of God. He tells you. To make a relationship right. That's scary. It's humbling. You suffer. You have to humiliate yourself. You've wronged someone. You step out and do it. And on the other side of the conversation, the relationship goes well. You at least know you did right. You've done everything you could do. That, that convinces you. Um, you get into scripture and you, you learn that you need to share your faith with other people. If you, believe Je if you follow Jesus Christ, you need to share your faith. You step out to do it, and you begin to see God work through that. That's how you get convinced. That's how your character develops. You, you get into the scripture, and you find out that God tells me to be generous. Now, I am one of the most natively, the most stingy people I know. But I get into scripture, and I find out I need to be generous. I start, and it, not only that, but it says, 
give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, it'll run over, you just, you'll be blessed. So I start giving. It's not reading about giving, it's giving. I start giving stuff away. I start sharing my resources. And I find out God's really right. He's in charge of the world because it starts coming back to me. That's how character develops. So uh, we've got about five minutes, and I wanted to give you a shot at some questions. Yes, sir. Um, so you said that God, like, God, God actually, what, one thing I learned is that if I'm in the middle of his will, trying to do what he wants done in the world, I'm going to have a lot of opposition. Because we actually have an enemy who's alive. Satan is alive and well, and he is going to push back at whatever's going on. I was surprised when I went out to start the church. In seminary, graduate school, you know, I'm thinking, hey, I can't wait to get into ministry because, man, God's just going to, it's just going to be, you know, I'm going to float around and things it's going to be awesome. Well, man, I'd get up in the morning and each leg felt like it weighed 300 pounds. And I thought, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And it, 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 as, I, as I started just, even in the middle of fear and trembling, doing what I knew to do, I saw God come through. And I, that's, yeah, opposition, ad, ad, adversity, just, just expect it. It's, it's woven in there. It's because, I don't, you know, it's because of the way the world is. We, we live in a fallen world, so we have to battle. Any other, yes? I don't know how to ask this question other than to say, is failing ever okay? Specifically sin? Yeah. It, it, failing in a God, in moral choice, failing in producing godly character and stuff, failing in making, you know, I have the choice to go buy some, you know, some fun toy that I really want. All my friends are going to be doing some, uh, be doing the same thing, but I know I have some debts to pay. Um, and then actually doing that, uh, which the Bible says you need to pay your debts. Um, is that throughout the entirety of my Christianity, I've heard, well, you know, you're saved by grace, and that's not an excuse for sin, but you're saved by grace, it's okay. And it's, and it's, there's always that, but it's okay. Is failing in any of these senses ever okay? Um, it, sin is never justifiable. I mean, but the great thing is that uh, e even though even though we end up <coughs> sinning consistently, God's gracious and He forgives. You 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 reference to that. Now, does God give us a life and allow us to make mistakes and fail in that sense with the choices we make? Yes. That's the difference between wisdom and folly. God is very gracious, but in the midst of life, we make choices, and if they're foolish choices, we end up paying a price. So 
you're, you're talking about in the area, in the realm of debt and how quickly I should pay off the debt or whatever it is, that's a matter of wisdom. There's the right timing, there's procedure, there's uh, you know, foolish choices. Uh, is, is there, uh, you know, there, there's a, you, you have to go before God. I'm not sure that's a matter of strictly right and wrong, black and white, sin or not. But you have to go before God and work out a plan for getting out of debt, paying off the debt, and at the pace that you sense is right, the quicker the better. But the situation you described from from my from what I understand is a matter of wisdom, not a matter of sin or error. Sin, sin's never right. We just if we're in sin, we don't need to justify it. We need to ask forgiveness. Now, could could you overspend and could you bury yourself further and further in debt and the pattern is sin? Yes, I think you can. I mean, it could be sin um, because and it could be that your selfishness, your self-centeredness is driving the wrong choices, so you're living for the wrong thing. And will God spank you? Yes. You, you could get spanked for that. But it's not as, it's not, in, in matters of wisdom, I think God's very gracious, and he lets us learn. But he does give us life, and we learn through our choices what's the best way and what's maybe not the greatest way. <laughs> so does that help? Does that I think so, yeah. It's 5.46 by my time. Are we, is it time to be done, Neil? Um, right at it. Right at it. Right. Okay. But it's been another question. Okay, one more question. Yes. Well, I, I think... Even if it's not a sinful choice, it's just not the best choice, does that make it wrong? I, I, that's, another mat, that's another wisdom kind of thing, where I think God allows us to learn through our... Through, you know, we, we don't choose wisely. And so we learn as we go along. Um, we learn, okay, if I have that to do over again, I might have chosen this. But... Whether or not it's wrong is, uh, if it's not sin, like you said, if it's not a matter of moral choice, uh, then I think God's using the, I think God uses our decisions to train us. And so what's happening is you're learning to make wise choices. And I, I wouldn't, what I wouldn't do is beat myself silly because I made maybe not the but I would, I would just learn from it and move on uh, forward, learning what I could from it. So, I mean, it, it, in one sense, it could be wrong, but I, I wouldn't look at it that way. Because I, I, I read there, I, I think I had Romans 8, 29, and the outline, the listening guy, but... Romans 8.28 says, we know that in all things God works for good with those who love him. So he, he has this ability to weave our good choices, our maybe close to good choices, <laughs> our not so great choices. 
he has this ability to weave those into his plans. And uh, he does that without overriding our will to choose. He, he does that even in spite of our choices. And so we can trust him in that way. So I just wouldn't beat myself up and say, ah, oh, that was the wrong choice. I've done that. It's not helpful. <laughs> so thanks. Glad you guys are here.